we welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. Exodus chapter number 33 and verse number 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me, yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Bible tells us in verse number 14, as the Lord is speaking to Moses in his intercessory prayer, on behalf of the people of the nation of Israel who have committed a great transgression, God has proclaimed his judgment upon the people, and Moses has interceded. And God responds to Moses in his intercession, and he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the precious Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would teach us your truth and reveal to us your person that you would go with us, that you would be with us in a marvelous and mighty way in this meeting this evening. And as we go from this place, as we endeavor to lead your people, we ask you, God, to help us. We pray that the book would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Rest is not found in a place like Canaan, but it's found in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Moses is attempting to lead the people of God out of bondage, out of Egypt. And he's leading them through the wilderness, and he is attempting to lead them into their rest. But before he can lead them to that rest, he has to discover that rest for himself. And as I said, it's not in a place, it's in a person. It's in the Lord Jesus. I think about Naomi and her words concerning Ruth, her daughter-in-law. If you remember, Naomi's husband died and her sons, Malon and Kilion, died and 
Ruth and Orpah were left as widows, grieving with their mother-in-law. And as Naomi was returning, she said to her daughters-in-law, she said, I can't provide for you a place of rest. You're Moabite girls. You're cursed. You, you go back to Bethlehem, Judah, they won't have anything to do with you. And I can't have more sons. And if I could have more sons, are you going to wait for them? It was obviously a ridiculous notion. In Orpah, the Bible says, kissed her mother-in-law and returned to Moab. But Ruth clave unto her mother-in-law, and she returned to Bethlehem, Judah. As they returned, the people saw her and said, Naomi's back. And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord hath dealt bitterly with me. And part of the great burden of her life was that this girl was following her, this girl that she had uh, brought into her family because of the relation to her son. And, and she felt an enormous burden for this girl. And her desire was that she would help Ruth find rest. Well, she found it. She didn't find it in Moab. She didn't find it even in Bethlehem, Judah. She found it in Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. Where do we find rest? We find rest in Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was speaking to those people who uh, had those great burdens placed on them by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You remember what Jesus said about them, right? He said, they give you great burdens. They lay these great burdens on you, but they won't lift one of them with their little finger. He said, if you're tired of the labor, the religious circle that these people are putting you through, if you're, trying, if you're tired and you're weary trying to obtain your own righteousness, you're trying to find your own way. He said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, and so we can find rest in the Lord. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, the Lord Jesus said unto his disciples in, in Mark 6 and verse 31, rather, he said, come unto me. He says to the disciples, he says, come yourselves apart into this desert place and rest a while. We looked at this passage last year as we, as we had this meeting together, and we saw that those disciples, they were busy in the ministry, and they were trying to find that rest, that time uh, of leisure, but there was no time to even eat. The Bible said they had no peace. People were there all the time, coming and going. The needs are never ending, Right? And then he said to them, he said, Here, here's this multitude. We need to feed them, 5,000. What are we going to feed them? Well, we just have a few loaves and fishes, but what are they among so many? They're, they had no peace and they had no provisions. Well, the Lord gave them peace in the midst of the activity and the Lord gave them provisions in the midst of the need. Then he told them to get on a boat and go to the other side and they're toiling and rowing. They're making no progress. You ever felt that way? And I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to get there, but nothing's happening. No, nothing's happening. We're trying to win people to the Lord. Nothing's happening. We're, we're trying to move our church forward, but nothing's happening. There's no progress, but they found that progress. They found that peace. They found that provision in the presence of Jesus. And now here's Moses, anxious, 
praying, crying out to God on behalf of the people, Lord, if you're not going to go with us, don't even take us up. We'd rather be here in the wilderness with you than in the land without you. And the Lord said, I'll go with thee, and I will give thee rest. We see some things in this passage I I want you to look at with me. We won't be able to cover them all this evening. We're going to see four things. We see, first of all, the problems with the people. The problems with the people. And what we find is that the problems with the people lead to the next thing, and that is the prayers of the pastor. Oftentimes, if, if, if things are going well for us, we have a tendency to let down, don't we? To take an ease in our flesh and, 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 and not labor with the Lord in his presence in prayers. But these problems with the people, they led to the prayers of the pastor. And then the prayers of the pastor led to the promise of the Lord's presence. Boy, that's what we need, isn't it? In this hour, what more could we ever hope to have but the Lord's presence among us? And then the promise of the Lord's presence created within Moses this desire for more, for more. You know, the deeper we go with God, the more we know of God, the more we want to know of God. And Moses said, Lord, I want to ask you something unusual. I want to ask you not only to go with us, but I want to ask you to show me your glory, to show me your way. I want to know you greater. God, would you reveal yourself to me? And the Lord said, oh, yes. And so we're going to see that the promise of the Lord's presence led to the proclamation of the Lord's name. What greater thing could we ever experience than to have the God of this universe speak to us, commune with us, reveal himself to us. Oh, it's a high and holy moment when God speaks to us. I was thinking about Moses out there on the backside of that wilderness. And, and, you know, before, 40 years before, Moses said, Hey, Lord, you found your man. Here I am. God said, oh, no, 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 no. You need to go spend some time taking care of the sheep. And 40 years later, God reveals himself in a burning bush. I had the opportunity to spend a few days at a volleyball trip with our girls' girls basketball, girls' volleyball team. And I drove the bus, and I got a hotel, and I was able to spend some time with the Lord. It was a blessing. And I was reading about that burning bush experience, and one commentator, one commentator challenged me in that book to begin to record the, the times that God spoke to me in those burning bushes. Do you remember those experiences? I remember November the 1st, 1992, when God called me to preach. I remember that day, my wife and I were sitting together on a pew, and I, I nudged her, and I said, God's called me to preach. The message had nothing to do with that. I went forward, and uh, I surrendered to preach at the Temple Baptist Church in Fountain City in Knoxville, Tennessee. Brother Miller, who's here from Knoxville, 
We were in that church together. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. I'm glad he's here today. God called me to preach. The preacher said, you're going to preach next Sunday. (laughs) I had an idea of how this was going to go, and I want you to know it didn't go the way I planned. In 1999, I thought God was finished with me. Every dream I had and every desire I had, it just didn't work out. And I thought I was done. I said to my wife, I said, we've been listening to Pastor Clarence Sexton on the radio, and God is using him to speak to us. And we would listen every Sunday night on Joy 62. And we knew God was leading us. We made a very difficult decision. A very hard decision to leave a place we love and people we love, but God was leading us. And we got there, the pastor preached the message, the road from Bethlehem to Jerusalem always goes through Ziklag. I don't know if I'm going to get through much of what I have to say tonight. I'm just going to enjoy myself. There was a push on fire. God was speaking to me. My wife looked at me and she said, are you going to go to the altar? I said, they got all those guys standing in the aisles with those clipboards. Are you going to go to the altar? So I got out of that altar and I bolted past those guys with the clipboards and I hit that, I hit those steps and I began to say, Lord, you know exactly where I am and you're speaking to me. You see, it was a burning bush moment. It's when God was showing up and God was speaking. Do you remember those moments? What greater thing could we ever have than those moments when the presence of God is speaking to us? I could tell you story after story of how God spoke and how God brought us here to Tabernacle, and we had no connections with this church. They had no connections to us, and, and, uh, but God did it. Miracles and answered prayer and and, and, and things beyond human explanation. I remember, I remember waking up, <laughs> and the Lord said this to me in my mind. He said, if the pulpit committee calls you, they might ask you this question. And I had that question on my mind all morning. At 12 o'clock that afternoon, I got a call from the interim pastor. And he says, our pulpit committee has looked at your resume. I didn't even believe in a resume. I'll be honest with you. But I put one together because they wanted one. I don't think there's anything wrong with a resume. I just thought if God's called me to preach, he wants me here, he's going to put me here, whether I have a resume or not. People used to tell me when I was younger, they say, you got to get your name out. You got to get your name out. I said, well, wait a minute. If God's called me to preach, he'll he'll get my name out if that's what he wants the main thing is not me getting my name out. The main thing is him getting his name. Me getting his name out, right? And so 
The gentleman called me. He says, before I ask you any, before I talk to you anymore about this church, there's one question I have to ask you. It was the question I woke up with that morning. The Lord did that. The Lord did that. I woke up one morning and and I just the Lord met with me and he spoke to me and he said, There's two people you need to call today. And I called both of those people and and the Lord directed our paths and and both those people are in this room today. You see, there are moments when God speaks to us out of the burning bush. It's undeniable. It's his presence. He's speaking to us. What greater thing could we ever experience than when the holy God of this universe stoops down and speaks to us? What Moses needed was to hear from God. And what we need is to hear from God. What we need is his presence. It's not what we're trying to get done. It's not where we're trying to get our church. It's not where we're trying to go in our ministry. It's that we're going with God. And if he doesn't go with us, then Lord, don't carry us up. We'll be content to stay right here in the wilderness with you. Now, I want you to see what led to it. Number one, the problems with the people. Somebody said that the ministry would be easy if it weren't for people. We've heard that, right? But we all know that the ministry is about people because God loves people. Hey, we're one of the people, right? We're not just the under-shepherd, we're one of the sheep. And God wants to use us to point people to him, to lead people to him, and to, 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 to lead people not only to him in, in, in the knowledge of him as Savior, but lead them in the knowledge of him so that they might be sanctified and set apart for God's purposes and so that they might discover the will of God and the joy of serving God, that they might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And how is all of that done? That they might know him. But the problems come. And they certainly came to Moses in Exodus chapter number 32. I want you to notice some of those problems. And I think Moses is uniquely qualified to help us as pastors, as evangelists, as missionaries, because we could say that Moses was the pastor of the church in the wilderness. He knows what it's like, and he can help us. And by the way, no church is free of problems. Just ask the apostles in Acts chapter 6. So there were some problems that he faced. First of all, he, he faced the impatience of the people. Now, where is Moses in, in Exodus 32? He's on the mountain with God. He's having his time with the Lord. If there's one time that Satan wants to interrupt, it's our time with the Lord. I can imagine Moses up on the mountain with God. He didn't have cell phones, but if he did, his phone was getting blown up, text message after text message. Josh was somewhere down the mountain, and, and you could almost hear, Hey, Moses, we got a problem down here. <laughs> Moses, I, I don't think I heard it. That's not him, surely. I, I'm going to turn my phone off. I need to spend some time with the Lord. 
But there were problems. Notice what the Bible says here in chapter 32. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, hey, they were impatient. They were impatient. Where is he? I don't know. He's been gone for a long time. What's he doing up there? Who knows? What's he waiting on? Don't you know we got to make decisions? Don't you know we got to move forward? What are we waiting on God to speak to us for? We know what to do. Let's just go. They were impatient. Here's another problem. Not only the impatience of the people, but the irreverence. The irreverence of the people. Notice what they said. And when Moses saw that the or when the people saw, rather, that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. Notice this, please. For as for this Moses. Notice their tone. As for this Moses. You know that guy, that Moses guy? As for him, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Notice who brought him up. The man that brought him up. We wot not what has become of him. They talked about him under their breath and behind his back. There was the impatience of the people, the irreverence of the people. Then there was the idolatry of the people. Notice what they said. They said, up, make us gods which shall go before us. You see, God got them out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. You see, they were acquainted with the idolatry of Egypt. It was ingrained in them. It was really what many of them had known all their lives. In fact, it was what most of them had only known all of their lives. And so they said, we're going to worship God the way Egyptians worship God. Verse 2, and Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made the proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And so we see their idolatry, the the desire that they had to worship God according to their own cravings and, and their own fleshly desires make us gods. And then the Bible says, as the Lord spoke to Moses concerning what the people said, notice it in verse number eight, the very close of the verse, and he said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Imagine that. Imagine that. They had seen God's mighty power. They had seen the powerful God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cripple the gods of Egypt and overthrow them. They had seen the God, the Egyptian bull god, Apis, the God that they worshiped, the God of power, the God of potency. They saw that God defeated and overthrown. But here they are now back in in the wilderness because they're impatient and because of their irreverence and because of what's in their flesh. And they say, we want to worship God that way, and he is our God. They were ascribing to God those characteristics of that Egyptian calf, that Egyptian bull god. 
And then we notice the immorality of the people. In verse number 36, the Bible says, The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We see it again in verse 19, And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh into the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. We see it again in verse 25, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. Idolatry always leads to immorality. You see, when, when we place ourselves on the position of the throne of God, when we, when we create a God, or when any people create a God in their own image, then there's no accountability to that God. The calf gives no law. The calf does not hold them to any standard. And the calf does not judge them. They're free to do what they will. And that is exactly what they resorted to. Then we see not only that, but we see the obstinance of the people. The obstinance. Notice what the Lord says about them in verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. They won't listen. To bow the neck is to submit. It is to humble yourself. It is to receive instruction. But they will not bow. They are obstinate people. And then we see the last thing concerning the people was their ingratitude. How many times did they murmur and complain? God delivers them. They're out of Egypt. They come to the sea. And what do they do? They complain. You brought us out here to die. So what does God do? He parts the sea, and he brings them through. You'd think that'd be enough, right? But as soon as they get thirsty, what do they do? They complain. When they come to a pool of water that is bitter, what do they do? They complain. When they get a little uh, hunger pain in their stomachs, what do they do? They complain. Now imagine this multitude of people, two million or more, complaining. You think you got it bad? Moses has got it bad. We've had, we've had some blessed services at Tabernacle Baptist Church. We've seen God do some mighty things. I'm telling you, we've experienced the presence of God in a wonderful way, and you have too in your church. But isn't it uncanny that you can walk out of a service like that and there's a guy at the back door with a look on his face and he wants to tell you, well, you know, it's a little too cold in here tonight. You guys are familiar, right? Hey, three people got saved. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, but we didn't make budget. <laughs> How about those kids came on the bus, they got saved? Yes, but you ought to see what they did to the bathroom. There are always problems. There will always be problems. But notice what these problems do. They cause Moses to pray. Did it ever occur to you that the problems that we experience with people, and by the way, let me just say this. The biggest problem with people Moses ever had to deal with was the person in the mirror each morning. 
And the biggest people problem I ever have had to experience is when I look in the mirror. Because we're one of the people too. And all the symptoms of the problems of the people are our problems. You ever get frustrated with your kids? They don't listen to a thing I say. They're so ungrateful. And you know what the Lord says? Hey, are you listening to yourself? How about you, buddy? You see, I heard Jim Benny say this years ago. He said, do you know why those people are giving you those problems? They're giving you those problems for your sake, number one, so that you'll know how to pray for them and so that God can work in your life and the problems of your life. Moses dealing with all these problems? Don't you think he was frustrated to death? We're never going to make it to the land. God said, they're helping you get in my presence. And so the problems of the people lead us to the prayers of the pastor. The prayers of the pastor. We see it in chapter 32 and verse 7. The Lord says, I'm going to bring judgment on the people. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Notice the language that God uses here. <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Can't you hear yourself saying this to you know, your wife when your son doesn't do what he's supposed to? Your son is causing all these problems. Go take care of your son. The Lord says, go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereto and said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which, thou, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Notice verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them that I may consume them and I tell you what I'll do Moses I'll make of you a great nation hey won't you just leave that church those people don't appreciate you they don't listen to you all they want to do is fight and fuss I mean think about how godless they act won't you just leave and go start your own show pretty tempting Pretty tempting. Now the Lord's testing Moses, isn't he? He says, I'll make of thee a great nation. Now notice Moses' response in verse 11. He didn't even address that, did he? And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against, what's the next word? Not my people, but thy people. What is he doing? He's reminding the Lord and himself who those people belong to. Hey, the church that God gives us the privilege to pastor, they're not our people. I hear pastors sometimes, and I know they don't mean anything by it oftentimes, but they say, well, my people or my deacon. Hey, that's not my people, and that's not my deacon. That's the Lord's people. That's the Lord's heritage. That's the Lord's church. That's the Lord's sheep. It's not, they're not mine. They're his. 
It's a great day when we come to realize that, isn't it? It's a liberating day when we come to realize that. They're not mine, they're his. He said, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt? With great power, remember what you did, O God, and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, hey, think about what the Egyptians are going to say, Lord. For the mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth, turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give unto your seed. He reminds them of the past. He reminds the Lord of his promises. Notice verse 14. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now Moses is interceding. He's interceding for the people. He's entered into the presence of God and he is offering his prayer, but his prayer is for the people of God. Now his prayer reveals three things and I I need to give them to you quickly. Bear with me. Number one, a diminishing sense of his pride. A diminishing sense of his pride. Moses has come to the recognition that it is not about him. It's all about God. God makes him the offer. I'll destroy them. I'll take you. I'll make of you a great nation. But Moses resists that offer. And he demonstrates a progressing maturity. One that says, I must decrease He must increase. Oftentimes we hear people speak about the conversion of the church. When a pastor assumes a pastorate at a church, a church that has been led by another man, a church that has sort of adapted to its own culture, and every church has its own culture. Every church is different, just like every individual is different. And you hear much about the conversion of the church, and, and, and we, talk, we talk a lot about how long it takes for a church to transition to a new pastor and for that pastor to truly become the pastor of that church. And, and I believe that's a very helpful thing to think about, and I believe there are a lot of great truths there, and I believe God is interested in the conversion of the church. But let me tell you what God is more interested in. That's the conversion of the pastor. I'm not the same person that came here 11 years ago. I don't have the same ideas. I don't have the same thoughts. I see things from a totally different perspective. And it's because of the problems, and it's because of the prayers, when I've recognized that I can't do this, and I've learned that it's not my people, it is God's people, and I've learned that this church is not here to, to, to make me feel good about my leadership. This church is not here to say, man, Pastor Hooks, that was the greatest sermon there ever was. They rarely ever say that, by the way. It, it's not so that my friends can say, hey, man, Scott Hooks is doing a great job in Hickory, North Carolina. But we all want our friends to think that, right? Right? 
And if we're not careful, it becomes about us and not about him. And there's more of us in, there's more of that in us than we are willing to admit. But God has a way of using the problems to bring that dirty sin of pride up to the surface and show us things that we never saw before. And the Lord says, I need to remove that. And so he gives Moses a test. And Moses passes the test because he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray, uh, yes, Lord, I'll take you up on that offer. I agree with you, Lord. These people aren't, aren't, they're no good. Why don't we go do something else, Lord? No. He said, Lord, these are your people. These are your people. And this isn't about me. It's about your glory. It's about these people that you have redeemed. It's about the promises that you have made. It is about this world filled with Egyptians who need to see the demonstration of your power and your glory. It's about the fulfillment of your promises and your program in this world. And so there was a diminishing sense of his pride. Second thing his prayer revealed is an increasing understanding of his priorities. What are the priorities of the pastor? Do you know the job? And, and, and I'm speaking not only to pastors. I understand that there are missionaries and evangelists and there are people who serve on staff uh, of churches. And, and, and we're all in this together. You know, Pastor Sexton often said this. He said, in the work of the Lord, you're either pastoring a church or you're helping somebody pastor a church. Now think about that. What did God establish for his work to be done? He established the local church. And so in the work of the Lord, you're either leading the flock, pastoring, or you're helping the pastor pastor. And so we're all in this together. Now, we don't work for any man. We work for the chief shepherd, right? And so here we are laboring together, and we need to understand what the priorities are. And as men of God, we need to, we need to be familiar with our priorities. Now, we have an example of that process. I want you to look with me in Exodus 18. I won't take time to read all of it, Exodus 18, but we understand that Moses' father-in-law comes to visit Moses, and what he observes is the people coming before Moses throughout all of the day. And the Bible tells us that after he observes this in verse number 17, he makes a conclusion. Look at the latter part of verse 17. The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. I remember when I came here, I felt like everything had to be right. The financial report had to be right. The Sunday school classes had to be right. The services had to run right. The music had to be great. The preaching needed to be, well, okay, decent. And I had all this pressure and I put on myself, and I thought I had to do it all. That's where Moses is here. He's trying to do it all. He's trying to deal with every case. And Jethro says, this is not good. You're going to wear away, and by the way, so are the people. Notice verse 19. He gives him some great advice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the cause unto God. 
Verse 20, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein we must walk and the work that they must do. He said, you need to figure out what your priorities are here. He said, the thing you need to do is not try to handle everything. The thing you need to do is pray for the people and preach to the people. Now, isn't that what we find in Acts chapter 6? You fellas, you take care of these widows, settle this dispute with this murmuring so that we would not neglect the word of God in prayer. We will give ourselves the word of God in prayer continually. Isn't that our responsibility? As the under-shepherd, isn't that really what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to preach to the people. We're supposed to feed them. We're supposed to help uh, promote the health of their souls. So how are we going to do that? Well, we've got to find able men. Notice verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men which such as fear God, men of truth. In other words, you've got to find some people to help you. You've got to trust that God has sent people to your church, men who love God, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who you can train, who you can teach, who love God, who want to serve God, and you can let them help you bear the burdens. Adrian Rogers said it's better to have 10 men working than to do the work of 10 men. Now, I've been, I've been in my mind, I'm just telling you, I've been in this mindset, no, no, you got to do the work of 10 men. But God let me break down on that one and taught me that I, I need to have 10 men working. And we went through some things in our church. I've talked about those in the past, and, and God's been so faithful. But let me tell you what the Lord taught me. He taught me that there were great men who loved God who were here who could take some of these responsibilities. And let me tell you what they've done. They've risen to the occasion. One of them sits there in the back, Mr. Art Frederick. Men who love God, men who love their pastor, men who love their church, and they serve together in this church to help bear the burdens. And God will give you people like that, and they may be the very ones you think would never be able to do that. As long as we think we got to do it ourselves, it's never going to get done. We have to understand what our priorities are. In Acts 6, those problems helped the apostles establish their priorities. They prayed, and what they discovered were the possibilities. The Word of God prospered. Samuel said in 1 Samuel chapter 12, moreover, and verse 23, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. That's the priority. But I will teach you the good and the right way. You see, God used the problem to bring the priority to the forefront in the life of Moses. Here he is. He's praying for the people. May God help us to pray for the people. I want to give you the last thing that this prayer revealed, not only did it reveal a diminishing sense of his pride, but we find that it also revealed an increasing understanding of his priorities. He saw what his responsibility was. He saw what his limitations were, but it also led and revealed an intensifying passion for the people. After Moses' prayer, the Lord said, go down there, walk about with those people and uh, 
see what's happening. And Moses did go down, and he saw all of the things that were taking place. And he stood with a group, and he said, if you're on the Lord's side, make your decision. Come stand here. And a number of the Levites did, and there were some of the leaders who didn't, and those Levites went in and and killed those men who, who did not stand on the Lord's side. And God brought judgment, but the Bible tells us in verse number 30, after that judgment took place, after those lives were taken, in chapter 32 and verse number 30, The Bible says, and it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. He said, I'm going up. I'm going back to see God. I've seen what you've done. I realize the awful uh, penalty of your sin. And I'm going back into the presence of God to make an atonement for your sin. Now, notice When he gets there, what happens? Verse 31, and Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and then he stops. Because he has no he has no offering. He 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 sees no way that God can pardon this iniquity. He has nothing to appeal to God with. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin. Notice verse 32. And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. You see, Moses understood something. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And he had no offering. And instead of the Moses that was frustrated with the people, aggravated with the people, always wondering why the people were holding him back, now we see Moses coming before God on behalf of the people. A change is taking place in his heart. There is an intensifying passion for the people. James Montgomery Boyce calls this Moses' finest hour. I want to read what he wrote. On the preceding day, God had made a great offer to Moses. He said that he would destroy the people but would save Moses and make him the father of a new nation. Moses had gone down the mountain, met with the people, and realized he loved them in spite of their sin. You see, it's when we're walking down in the valley with them, when we're going to the hospitals, when we're counseling them in their problems, when we're dealing with them in their griefs, when we're answering some of their questions or dealing with some of their criticisms, God is acquainting us with his people. God is developing a bond between his servants and his sheep. And when we go back to God, as Moses went back to God, Boyce writes, back on the mountain, Moses now made God a counteroffer. God had said, I'll destroy them and save you. But Moses said, save them and destroy me. 
There was a conversion. There was a change. And may God help us to get in his presence, to hear his voice, to walk among his people, to have his heart and the love of God shed abroad in our hearts for his people that we might discover personally that our rest is in him so that we might lead them into that rest. Thank you for listening. We hope that the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The Rest Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. Rest 2020 is scheduled for September 7th through 9th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to join us. For more information about Rest, go to our website, therestconference.com.